cannot tell you how excited I am to have gotten one person to begin therapy slash counseling services through something positive for positive people. Thank you, everyone, for your donations. Those have helped tremendously because I was able to just Venmo the therapist the uh, dollar amount that we agreed upon for this person to get 12 sessions at no cost to them. So, yes, Uh, it's been such a long time coming and in the works. And I'm finally able to say that we're actually doing this thing that I've been saying we were going to do for probably three of the three and a half years now that something positive for positive people has been a podcast. And my motivation behind that is, as you know, if you've been listening for a while, this is a suicide prevention resource. It just so happens to manifest through conversations about herpes, because when I first started to really uh, explore my dating life, After living with herpes or after having been diagnosed with herpes, I started to run into more people who had it. I started to get in more communities of people who have it as well. And there were a lot of people who expressed suicide ideation and depression. And herpes is often seen as this gross virus that nobody wants and we uh, don't want to touch a person with it. You're disgusting. You have sex with a lot of people and you're not cautious with any of them. And that's how you get herpes. No, that's not what happens. You get herpes from being human. And you have skin-to-skin contact with someone who just happens to have herpes. And sometimes you get it. Sometimes you don't. Sometimes you have physical symptoms. Sometimes you won't. Sometimes you'll never have any symptoms. Sometimes you'll never even know that you have it. And we'll never know where it came from. So with that all being said, you know, the for that to be the reality of the physicality, the reality of the physicality, wow, what a sentence, um, it's really tough to point out that this is more of a mental health thing than anything because it does really fuck with you psychologically right uh you get diagnosed and all of those thoughts and be beliefs that you might have had now come rushing through you and you begin to believe these things about a person that when what you believed about a person with herpes all of this is now being thrown to you as a person So in dealing with the mental effects, you know, how would you deal with such a traumatic thing? This is, in fact, a sexual trauma. An STI diagnosis is, in fact, a sexual trauma. And it's not being treated as that. It's not being talked about as that. We're just providing pills and saying use condoms and telling people, oh, this is so common. That's not what we need. We need healing. We need community. We need a safe space to talk through this and not a place to just, like, bitch and vent about our physical symptoms or how, you know, no one wants to date us because we have herpes because that's bullshit. That's not the case. And through the healing process for myself, like I have learned and I am continuing to learn that that isn't true. There are people who won't want to date you, but your diagnosis may mean something to them. It may not mean something to them. And for the right people, they're either going to have it or they're going to be okay with the fact that you have it. Right. Or they're not going to want anything to do with it. So the way that I see it, the odds are in your favor. There's a 66.6 with the line over the top of the six that comes after the decimal for infinity six that (laughs) the person is going to more than likely be fine with your HSV status. All right. And so just I, I open that up with this just to say, like, we've come such a long way. This is not just about herpes. This is about healing. This is about the mental and emotional healing that takes place that can take place if you allow it to. And if you have the resources available to you in order to be able to do so. So I'm really fucking pumped to be able to finally do this. And I just sent another Venmo payment for uh, the second person. And this is all in the matter of 
uh, three days. So now we've got two people here who are able to get uh, seen uh, for counseling services that <laughs> I couldn't tell you. Like when I first started this podcast, I didn't see it being that. I just wanted to give people the experiences of people who were living a perfectly normal life with their herpes diagnosis. And that's it. Just to give people like a little bit of a role model or see what it could look like if herpes doesn't affect you. And that's helped. It's created this wonderful community of people who support one another, who when I make a post and uh, have thought-provoking things, people just openly share in this space. They're like, oh yeah, when I was diagnosed, and this is beautiful to see. It's so beautiful to see this because this is, in fact, uh, an energy of healing. And this whole space is just a healing space. So while I'm feeling my healing throughout this process and also being able to witness the healing of other people in this space throughout this process, it is fucking beautiful. And I'm very honored to be the facilitator of all of the healing that is taking place and will take place over time. So uh, I'm working on myself. I'm in therapy myself in order to get to the place where these blind spots that I have are noticed and I'm aware of them and I can change my patterns and routines and do something a little bit different for myself moving forward because I have to be my best self if this is going to continue to thrive and evolve as it has been. All right. So, um, yeah, again, thank you. Thank you for all of the support. Thanks for the listens, the shares, the stories and experiences that you share, y'all, because I wouldn't, I couldn't do this without that kind of support. And I feel really safe in this community that I've been a part of for the last three years. So this is my giving back, just continuing to invest and put the energy into it. So speaking of, um, those donations and everything have really enabled me to raise more money. Uh, I've I can't say forfeit my salary over, but I forfeit my salary or the money that comes in from sponsors to go directly to the nonprofit so that uh, the funding, the fundraising efforts are paid for by the sponsors more than anything so that we can get more people therapy so that we can get more money coming in uh, in order to treat more people and help more people. Right now, we are limited on resources, but that's fine because, you know, the more listens we get to the podcast, the more money that comes in. It's as simple as that. And then we can do more of this. So, like I said, we've got two people. I've sent two Venmo payments in to get this thing going. So, that's not pumped. <laughs> Today's podcast episode, that was a really long intro and it wasn't supposed to be. I just got excited. Um, this episode is called Something Negative for Positive People. And... You can, I'll give you a little bit of an example here. I'll read through one and show you kind of what we did for a few questions. But uh, Clarice Connolly and I, and Clarice has been on episode 101, and then she's been on another episode, and I cannot remember the life, for the life of me what the episode was. But uh, we've been kind of tag teaming some of the herpes events that take place where we get together um, with people who are mainly in like the Missouri, Kentucky, Ohio area, but people come from all over. And this was an event where, uh, you know, we had like a, there was a social outing, there was a barbecue, there was flag football, there was uh, intramural basketball, not intramural, but like a basketball tournament. It was just overall a great time. And I got the opportunity to um, have about a two hour window to have my own panel discussion, which is becoming a fundraiser to 
raise money for something positive for positive people and let the people who are at these events get a feel for who Courtney is, what this organization is and does and what we need in order to continue to provide this kind of support. Oh my God, my air conditioner just cut on. All right, I'm not going to be much longer. Um, And find out what the community needs directly from the members of it. So I think that face sound is super important because it's different than hearing from people online. Like when you get to see people interacting, you see their mannerisms, their behaviors, and how they talk to people, how they carry themselves. It gives you more insight to what this virus does to a person or doesn't do. And it gives you more of an idea of who a person is with this virus and not just like having the person um, just solely be someone whose identity is centered around their herpes diagnosis. Haha, <laughs> like me, because that's what my work is. My, what seems to be my work. Uh, and, um, yeah, I was going to give an example, but my air conditioner cut on. So if you can listen to this episode, please do. I think that it's wonderful. It's a great exercise for you to implement for yourself. If you have a group of friends, if you have a support system, this is something that you can do. Just share your most negative experience that you've had since your diagnosis and Allow for someone to hold space for you to just read through it and then you listen to what they have to say in regards to what the lesson from that could be. So this isn't about being positive, thinking positive and pulling the thing out of there so that you have a better attitude. It's so that you can see what the lesson was because we're going to constantly face situations that we don't really care for or like, but they're going to be useful. We want to just jump past the feeling of our emotions and get to the outcome, get to the end game. But it's in this discomfort, it's in that that tragedy, it's in that chaos that we are able to learn, grow, and not do the same thing twice if it's something that hurt us or put ourselves in a position to where we're more equipped to be able to handle it. So I encourage you to listen through this podcast episode. I thought it was great, and um, it gives you a really good insight to what Uh, the money that is being raised is going towards as far as the efforts to continue to raise more money so we can get more people therapy. Um, If you haven't already, please like, rate, review, share, subscribe to Something Positive for Positive People. If you found any value in any of our conversations, any of these podcast episodes or anything, please consider leaving a donation. You can visit www.spfpp.org. And on the homepage, if you scroll down a little bit, you'll see options for Venmo and PayPal to leave a donation. And this is actually now, we're actually getting people therapy, 12 sessions. Um, And then after that, I got to figure out the rest. So (laughs) thank you all for your patience and your support. Enjoy this episode of Something Positive for Positive People called Something Negative for Positive People. I have a few negative stories to share, and for y'all that just walked in, what we're going to do is go through a negative experience that we've had since our diagnosis, and then we're going to just write that out, and you can submit it anonymously, and we'll read through a couple of them, and then just try and pull the lesson out of it so that it's something that everyone can take away from that person's experience. Um, I was diagnosed with genital HSV2. This will be the eighth year. I think in August, it'll be year eight for me. It took five years for me to begin to get into the space of being comfortable with interviewing people. I mean, I wouldn't even say it was a comfortable thing. It was just something that seemed necessary because of the number of people who had been expressing suicide ideation. And I just wanted to put something out there for them. You know, you go to the suicide hotline or something for anyone experiencing PTSD, survivors, uh, veterans, and uh, what else? 
there, there's, there's just nothing for people who are suffering from uh, the sexual trauma that is, in fact, an SCI diagnosis, and it's not seen as such. So for me, my negative experience has probably been doing this as a way of coping, receiving my diagnosis, and then getting to the place of starting to do the interviews, hey, <laughs> uh, I'll get y'all up to speed, or if anybody wants to talk and kind of whisper and tell them what's happening, that would be awesome. My response to my diagnosis, people have their own different responses, some negative, some positive, some impactful. Um, in my case, my response was to cope. So my coping response was to more so not focus on healing my own diagnosis, but more so focusing on other people and focusing on them. And for the last three years of me doing this podcast, I didn't realize that I hadn't dealt with my own diagnosis until things would happen, such as rejections would come up and I'd feel some type of way about it more intensely than I should, given I'm interviewing people on a regular basis, telling everybody, hey, you can disclose it's going to be all right. You know, this is just something that's going to happen. Throughout the process, I've heard so many stories and I've been able to be that like voice of reason for a lot of people or be that shoulder to lean on through these experiences and create a an online community of podcast guests who share their stories, share their experiences that can relate to probably anyone who listens to an episode. There's something that you will be able to pull out of that and apply to yourself. This was what I would have needed. And I didn't realize that I needed to deal with my own healing until I got a therapist recently, <laughs> uh, maybe a month and a half, two months ago, when my therapist said to me, he was like, he asked me why I was there. And I told him what I do with the podcast. And I was like, I don't want to suffer from compassion fatigue or burnout and then just all of a sudden not be able to be there anymore or be able to continue doing this because I enjoy doing it. Uh, I enjoy what it's evolving into. I enjoy being able to meet people that I'm meeting and continue to grow this community and be of support to people. But I, I'm aware that people burn out. And people suffer from compassion fatigue. So I say this to him, and one of the first things he says to me is, uh, he goes, well, I don't think you dealt with your diagnosis. And my initial response was, fuck you, dude. <laughs> and that was just kind of like this rage response. Oftentimes when someone says something to you and you have this like rage response, there's something there. So I sat with that actually for a few weeks and realized that this was what I was doing. So in helping other people... I don't have to deal with it myself. It's still happening. I'm still having the feelings, but they're being repressed. So through the experience of, well, through the awareness of that in itself, I've been able to start to look at things in a way, like I listen to my own podcast now. Somebody said that to me because I was venting to someone. They were like, do you listen to your own podcast? Like, why are you having this problem? I was like, shit, you're right. So in listening, it's like, damn, you know, I really have been putting this thing off. Through that coping, I've been able to look at the things that have happened, the numbers of people that have been invited into this group, the numbers of people who have said, you know, hey, I wanted to in my life, I was one of those people, but finding this resource was helpful to me. 
uh, when people say that they can relate to or they've connected with a particular person's story. Those kinds of things are really inspiring. They're encouraging. And I'm able to take that negative thing, my coping, and see it as healing. So for me, I'm putting my own healing on display. I've been doing less interviewing and doing more of my own putting it out there and talking about my personal experiences, which, I mean, that's challenging for somebody who ain't used to that. So when you're used to asking other people about that shit and you see, like, the tears bubble up or you feel, like, the release of them, when you do it for yourself, it's a little bit different. It's sometimes intimidating. But when you push through it, it can be really empowering. And that's my goal here is to be able to give everybody the space to, in just, like, a short exercise, be able to write through their own negative experience since their diagnosis and then just anonymously share it. We'll read through it, uh, just a few of them, and then we'll try and pull out a lesson from there. Notice I'm not saying we're pulling out the positive from it. We're pulling out the lesson. So these negatives are very useful. Um, For me, you know, starting this podcast out, I have a very ugly relationship with suicide. My mother threatened suicide. My little sister threatened suicide. I know people who've actually completed suicide and died by it. So I guess in a sense, I would be considered a survivor of suicide. So that same anger response when my therapist said, you haven't dealt with your uh, diagnosis was the same response. I can link that back to when I saw posts from people that said, this is the worst thing that ever happened to me. I want to kill myself. Same feeling. And so... I've learned to use that anger, that emotion around suicide as fuel that really drives for me to continue to evolve this thing and get it to a place where now, you know, we got a dozen people in here right now listening to the panel discussion last year. I think there might have been like six. (laughs) So it's making an impact. And I'm hoping that this exercise is something that we at this more intimate level are able to really pull from and hold on to as we go back out into the world. And look at our own healing. In what ways could we potentially be coping? Or what ways are we dwelling on the most negative experience that we've had and unable to see the lesson there? So that's what this serves as. And that's what this community is about. It's about being supportive to one another. It's about being empowering. And it's about learning and getting the information so that you're more, oh, my God, why nobody tell me I had this in my head this whole time? Um, (laughs) And be able to just move forward in a more educated manner. I mentioned it earlier, like my goal is not to get rid of stigma because I feel like that energy is just burnt. There's so many people already doing it. That's not the best use of my energy. My resources are best utilized as hosting this podcast, running this nonprofit. Uh, So we raise money in order to help people get therapy if they need it after their diagnosis. So if there's someone who reaches out and they are, in fact, suicidal, but they can't afford a therapist, then we help them with that. If they can afford a therapist, we can connect them to someone who is, in fact, sex positive and isn't going to be someone that you may not disclose to. So I took a recent survey of uh, podcast listeners. I forget the exact numbers, but a significant number of people have a therapist, yet they have not disclosed their HSV status to their therapist. Imagine being able to go through that healing process. For me, I told my therapist I had herpes and Oh, you you got a therapist? (laughs) Uh, My therapist self-disclosed to me that he had herpes for the last 11 years, you know, and he was like, you know, this might be a healing experience for us both. That's my goal. I want to be able to connect these dots. So that's like why we're here right now uh, to be able to 
provide this kind of support to one another. With the time that everyone had, most of y'all have probably already written down your stories. Uh, if you haven't yet and you want to share something, you're more than welcome to. But I can take what we have now and then begin going through that process while Clarice introduces herself. Hi, I'm Clarice. Uh, hello. I am a life and business coach. I support people in holding them accountable from moving them from where they are to where they want to be in all areas of their life. And I work with a lot of people who have been diagnosed to sort of get through the experience. Um, with that being said, obviously I got diagnosed. I like to blur the lines because the first two years didn't count. <laughs> Um, but my experience, you know, really felt negative. I think we're conditioned to believe, or at least in my personal experience, that your life goal is to find a partner and settle down and have the white picket fence in the house and be just like everyone else. And if you're not doing that, you're not successful. And all I thought that I had to offer was my looks and my appeal and how good I could be in bed. And that was my, that's how I repaid people for taking care of me. So when I got diagnosed, I felt devastated. Well, now... What do I have to offer? Who am I? Who's going to want this? I felt infected, broken, disgusting, and just shut down for a solid year. I didn't want to look at it. I didn't want to tell anybody. Um, and support groups really saved me. Um, I owe it so much to the first group that I just dragged myself in and just fell apart at a table uh, in front of. I couldn't even say it. I couldn't. It's still so emotional. I couldn't say it. I couldn't talk about it. Um, and they were like, you know, what do you have? And I just like, nope, can't do it. I can't do it. And it was so hard. It was debilitating. And because I kept going into this group and I had this group where I could come and talk and practice and share as little or a lot as I want, I felt like how important it is to have community and to like show up with this really hard, heavy stuff that I was carrying all by myself. Um, because I started practicing inside of this community I just wanted someone to tell me that, like, they weren't going to invalidate me or that just someone to accept me. And I, first person I went to was my mom. I thought, like, I'm her only daughter. She can't reject me. Like, God, I just want someone to love me because I know I have this and still love me. And when I told her, my mom was like, oh, well, me too. Like, it was so nonchalant, no big deal, and I crumbled. It just felt so relieving that, like, I wasn't the only person in the world that had this. And I started to gain a little more momentum. Like, there was this, like, oh, that felt good to share and talk about. And I'd gotten in a fight with my best friend and was like, why are you dating another awful guy? Like, at least you don't have herpes like me. And she just was like, oh, my God, do you think that that's why I date awful guys? I just settle for the first person because I have it too. And it was, like, that feeling again of, like, oh, wow, that just got lighter again. Like, someone else I told also has it. And for me, like, even though this was so excruciating, it took my identity. I just lost who I was. I had no idea what life was about or what it was for or why to keep living it. The more that I told someone, it gave me something back. Like, it recharged me. There was this feeling I couldn't articulate. And I just buried myself in self-help books, anything to, like, make it all go away, to make it stop hurting, to make it be anything but what it was. And... I ended up finding myself a, a life coach who was this accountability, this support, this like unbiased opinion, this just like genuine human that literally felt like they picked me up off my feet. And 
you know, after working with him and then I, I decided maybe I wanted to, this is my contribution. Maybe life wasn't about finding a life partner. It was like helping people love life again. I wanted to be a coach. I wanted to give people the empowerment back, learning, teaching them how to love themselves and being them, being there for them without judgment, just unbiased love and attention. And I went through this year-long program, 300 hours worth of training, and I really still felt broken. I still felt fundamentally like not the same. I moved into a women's recovery home for two years without a visible or clearly defined addiction. And I found out that I, I sought comfort in eating and eating was my best friend. And every time I was upset, I would just eat something sweet because I wanted the sweetness that I didn't get because I felt so awful. Um, that was my coping mechanism. If I wasn't eating my feelings, I was a workaholic. I was so buried in my work that I was like, okay, my, my work's my life purpose. So I don't have to think about anything else as long as I have work. I'm too busy to worry about all of it. And I denied myself dating. I denied myself being with people. I just let go of that need as something that I needed. It's fine. I can't get that now. I don't deserve it. Who wants this anyways? And like Courtney was saying, I've probably, I think I got it in 2011. And so it took five years of self-help. Like it took five years of feeling so broken to really understand that like emotions are okay. Like emotions are a part of life. They're not something to stop, to get rid of, to bury, to avoid. There's something to incorporate the good and the bad, the pretty, the ugly, the highs and the lows. Like they are what adds depth to this human experience. So I quickly became very passionate about emotional intelligence. And I found that understanding like the stages of grief, you know, the acceptance, the denial, the bartering, the sadness, and like, they're not just like a one, two, three, you're done, poof, you're healed. You know, have herpes and understand your emotions. It's like, they come and go. There's highs and lows, Tuesdays and Thursdays. And the more that we can understand like, oh, okay, there it is. What is that? What does that part of us need? The more that we start to sort of accept ourselves as a whole. And my takeaway from this entire lesson is just connection. Connection comes when we're vulnerable, when we share ourselves. We really get to see other people. It gives people permission. And ultimately, you know, it's hard to eradicate stigma. My point is I want to normalize it. Because the more I started to disclose to other people, the more those people were like, hey, I mean, I don't have herpes, but I mean, it reminds me of like my bipolar disorder I got diagnosed with and how stigmatic that is to tell someone you're bipolar. They're going to run out the door because who wants that? People had autoimmune conditions and they felt like their body let them down, that they totally didn't, you know, didn't fight it good enough and now they're affected by it and it's such a pain and it makes you feel sick and broken and not enough. So the more that I started to disclose and the more strangers I saw, I mean, I wear a shirt that says I make things awkward and people are always like, how so? I'm like, because I talk about it, I have herpes. And they're like, oh, well, you know, some people are like, okay, me too. Like, wow, wow, you're really upfront about it. I wish I could do that. Some people are just like, oh, yeah. And you're like, you are not open about the things that make you uncomfortable. But that's okay, you know? So I just, I like to normalize that you just meet yourself where you're at. Some people take one year to get over this and then want to be an advocate. Some people find a partner and then never want to do advocacy. But our happiness lies within, and it's really about 
the more that we can let go of the shame, the more that we can examine it, look at it, whatever we need to do to work through it, the lighter we can feel, the more fully expressed we can feel, the more in touch with who we were meant to be. Like our life purpose, the reason we're here isn't because of what everybody in society is doing. It's not in the house, the picket fence. It's what we want to make it. Like it can literally be whatever you want to make it. And that's, that's the part of it. Let's just share. Like holding it in hurts us. It eats us alive. We bury it with whatever it is. And I just, I have a podcast as well. So I interview people who also are suffering, who've had an experience, a diagnosis, a catastrophe, a rock bottom. They went through hell. They came out on top and now they're doing something about it. So I ultimately felt like it was the worst thing that's ever happened to me. And now it's just felt like the best thing that's ever happened to me because I was living everyone else's life that everything that they wanted for me. And then I realized I woke up and I don't actually want that life. I don't want a home. I want to travel for the rest of my life. I don't want a male. I want a female. Like it's everything that you want it to be if you choose to let it be. But if you continue to compare or hold everyone else's standards as yours, it sucks. And the shame isn't just about having gotten herpes. It's about how you were raised, what religion you fell under, what you know, groups you surround yourself with, what everyone else you're doing is. There's so much depth to this, and it's, a tied, it's tied to so much. And once you start looking at it, it's like you're peeling back all of those things and finding yourself in your most authentic and raw version. So that's who I am in a nutshell. Um, thanks so much for listening to that. I'm always open to like how and practicing and what you um, have been going for. And this is why I'm here, so that we can just share those experiences and find the gems in it to normalize it, to make peace with it, and practicing something new and creating awareness on what introspection and emotional intelligence can give you. I have a couple here of uh, stories that were shared from the audience. Clarice is going to, as you're done, just throw your hand up. Uh, she'll take it from you, and then if you can, just kind of take some notes on it, on like what you want to cover, kind of like how they hit. So I'm going to paraphrase, because uh, I don't want to give away who wrote what. Uh, and then what I'll do is, as you listen, if anyone wants to share like anything or add to this, or if they have something from their own experience that can be added to it, or if you even see the lesson in here, I'd love for other people to get involved with this as well. We'll start here with... I was 24 years old. I was head over heels, falling for a girl named. We're going to input Karen here. We went, <laughs> we went back to her apartment, and we ended up getting it on. Little did I know, I had HSV type 1 and 2. Well, I left the apartment the next day, and she felt different a few days later. So I went and got tested, and it was positive. I felt terrible, and I got tested. Oh, I'm sorry, I'm back to the same line. <laughs> Three years, the whoa, the Karen. <laughs> uh, I felt terrible, and for three years, the Karen. Uh, I was in love with, blackmailed me when I threatened to leave her. Finally, I had no choice, but I had to leave her. Um, had I known that I had it, I would have given. I would have not given it to her. I am asymptomatic. My coping has been running and drinking ever since. I still feel alone, and I still feel like an outsider around family. There's very few who I've told. I haven't told 
uh, my family since this diagnosis. I have not over. I have never overcome it. So first, I want to just say thank you for sharing this. And then I want to also add here that, like, I don't think this is anything that you just completely wake up over and have overcome. You know, even when you get to the end goal in life of whatever it is that this is an obstacle for, it's still going to be there. I figured this was a really good place for me to talk about my mental health and my sexual health all in one. Because you're about to go into a piece of this that is a little bit of a struggle to hear for about 40 seconds. Wait a minute, I wrote it down. It's actually 27 seconds where the volume is going to be a little bit low for our guy who shares a little bit about his experience as he elaborates more into this scenario that was shared with us at the panel discussion slash fundraiser, because that's what I want to call it now. And I have the authority to do so. I'm so excited about that. All right. Uh, sexual health. As you all know, I, well, if you listen to the podcast, I was recently diagnosed with chlamydia. Um, we're on, we're at four weeks now since I've been treated and cured of it, but that also developed into prostatitis, which is inflammation of the prostate. Um, I had such mild symptoms that I completely, um, I didn't go to the doctor as soon as I probably should have. And it was just my urine was coming out slowly. And um, in that instance, I didn't think anything of it because I'd heard of my friends and other people talking about chlamydia symptoms. And when you Google it, it comes with a fever. It comes with chills. It comes with bloody urine, burning urine. And I didn't have any of that. There was like once where there was a little bit of a sting. And I thought, oh, I fell asleep after sex. Maybe that's what it is. But that was not the case in any way, shape, or form. Um, it actually ended up being chlamydia. So I um, talked to all my partners about it, let them know to get checked. And um, one of the ways that... Uh, they were able to get checked quickly was with our sponsor, Let's Get Checked. So if you visit www.trylgc.com slash SPFPP, you get 30% off of your first at-home STI testing kit. That's 30% off. And you can limit what you're tested for. So you can order a chlamydia and gonorrhea test. You can order a test that includes HIV. You can order even a full, uh, complete 10 test, which includes testing for whether or not you're shedding the herpes virus, type 1 or type 2 genitally. And this is interesting because they are able to figure this out from a urine sample. Um, I learned that because I got non-reactive on my test results when I got them back from, uh, from Let's Get Checked myself. So I was like, hey... What is this about? So I called, I spoke to um, a licensed, I'm sorry, a nurse practitioner who was able to confidently uh, share with me what non-reactive meant and how um, they test the urine for signs of shedding. So I thought that that was really interesting and perhaps something that people with herpes could benefit from if that's something that you want to regularly monitor. If you know that you normally have an outbreak around a certain time of the month, perhaps you could get te get checked and tested and see if there are any signs of shedding um, in your urine. And perhaps that can kind of give you a little bit more information about your body. So um, if that's something that sounds good to you, then I encourage you to 
utilize our sponsor. You'll visit www.trylogic.com without the vowels. So there's no O, no I. It's T-R-Y-L-G-C.com slash S-P-F-P-P to save 30% off. And when you go in the checkout, just to be sure, now I think that it works fine when you use S-P-F-P-P uh, after the backslash, but at the checkout point, enter code S-P-F-P-P. Uh, to make sure that the promo code is activated. You'll see the difference in cost after you enter the promo code. That's what I had to do when I ordered it. So uh, visit www.trylgc.com slash SPFPP. Now, after this familiar experience, this brought about some very stigmatizing thoughts on, in me. Now, we know that I host this podcast. We know that I'm sex positive. I talk about all of these wonderful uh, things about STIs and how normal they are. But in that moment, Courtney and H on my chest had a very challenging conflict with one another. H on my chest was like, oh, you know, it's just chlamydia. We'll be fine. It's curable. And Courtney was like, no, I can't do this non-monogamy shit, y'all. And that was a real thought that I had to myself. Um, But there was a little bit more there in terms of how I processed uh, dealing with the stigma around having been diagnosed with my first STI since herpes, at least. Um, This was the first time I had been diagnosed with chlamydia, and there were just some feelings of shame, and there were some feelings of stigma, and I talked to my BetterHelp therapist about this, and it was helpful without going into too much detail about the background, but uh, they're brought about, fuck, I guess I'll just go ahead and share it. So, What ended up happening around this was just um, there are some things that happen when you have prostatitis and prostatitis being caused by chlamydia. Um, One of the side effects is erectile dysfunction. And so I mistook my erectile dysfunction for meaning something else in regards to one of my partners. Like it was a mental block there about like how I might have felt about Oh, no. No one ever texts me and, uh, you know what, let me go ahead and put this on Don't Disturb. Bam, we good now. All right. (laughs) So there were some thoughts there about, um, you know, how I might have felt about a partner and then like come to find out, you know, this was a whole thing about unworthiness or feeling like someone was uh, out of my league. Um, And then later to read up and see that ED is actually a symptom of prostatitis can't tell you how happy I was about that because I really thought that I was getting old I thought about becoming a vegetarian like even now like I'm, I'm gonna hold on to that habit of not having meat in my house uh for when I cook it's a little bit challenging but I just made like some vegan spaghetti and meatballs but anyway those feelings of unworthiness were something worth diving into with my better help therapist and as a result We came to a general conclusion without going into too many details that there is a way that I view and use sex as a way of uh, connecting. And this is something that I've never thought about because we talk about, you know, the conflict between Courtney and H on my chest. And I more so resonate with being who you all see as H on my chest. Like, that's who I really am. And then there's this me who operates in day-to-day life as what we call the robot. And this robot version of Courtney um, 
self-sabotages, um, is hard to connect with, puts up barriers to keep people from connecting with him. And I'm working on that. <laughs> so that was a very long-winded explanation of what's going on between me and my ther- better help therapist. Um, but I think that it's all relevant and it's important uh, for me to share my own progress as best I can without going into, again, too much detail. Some things do need to remain sacred and intimate. And uh, the, the details of my healing in specific detail, these are some things that need to be sacred to me in order for me to, you know, really be able to, to focus on them and feel them and deal with them and heal with them. All right, so you can check out BetterHelp for yourself if you're someone who is considering a a shift in therapist or a new therapist or even starting therapy for the first time. You can save 10% off of your first month of services when you visit www.betterhelp.com slash SPFPP. Again, that's BetterHelp, B-E-T-T-E-R-H-E-L-P.com slash SPFPP. All right, now we're going to get into this low volume point of the podcast. This happens three times, and the first time is 27 seconds. The second time is going to be actually one minute. (laughs) It'll be low. You can hear it, but it's just low. And then there will be a third time for 20 seconds. So I apologize for that. We were in the moment. We were present. It was awesome. And um, I didn't want to, you know, take people out of the flow of, this because people were really getting involved and interactive and sharing and I was just like I want to keep this going I don't want to mess up the momentum that we have here all right back to the show I ended up finding this community, whatever, whatnot, but I, I worked with her. Um, she was a counselor at the school I was working at. I was teaching at the time, and I, we ended up, you know, getting to like each other, forming, you know, having, and we ended up having a relationship, but I had told her prior to anything physical. Um, the first time we were going to be intimate, we went to Cincinnati on a little weekend trip, and I broke, you know, I broke down and told her. Um, she accepted it. She accepted it. It, a year and a half went by until she finally got it. But she, when she got it, when she figured out she had it, we were going through a little rocky breakup, and I was stepping off the plane going in my first FOT. I, got, I was going in the FOT, getting out of the, getting out of the van, as, I, as she was telling me. She had found out, like, she had, she had finally got it. But since we were broken up, it was thrown in my face. It was the guilt. It was, it, I, I felt this guilt because she hit me. She threw, just blew up in my face. Um, to the point where she was even telling me, like, you know, she was questioning whether she wanted to end her life, like, type deal, or take some, she was going to take some pills or whatever, like, just anything to make me feel, like, I, and I was in, I just got to Texas, I, that was in the, I just got that, that was fresh, and that guilt was eating me up, and it was an anger, and it was a, because she knew the situation, she accepted it, we were together for a year and a half, and then she ended up getting it, but then it blew up in my face, and then after that, and to the extent of that, I'm going to tell you how bad the anger was where I was arrested at my first event, at my first FOT. 
later on, like throughout the trip, you know, I had all this shit bottled up inside and I got to an altercation with a parking guy and I had too much to drink um, where we end up, I ended up hurting him. Like, and I, I got arrested. So I was in jail in Texas. I got out of jail, went back. I had like a dis- public drunkenness, or disorderly, I think, something like that. It was a misdemeanor. Um, but as I went back and then through the months passing, I stayed with her because of the guilt. I made it work because of the guilt. And it wasn't a good thing because it got it progressively got worse. Until I got to a point where I was able to walk I finally was able to walk away. I had to get to the point where and I know I get it. There's a fear of her outing you, telling you your situation. But I had to get over that. Like it's like I was putting myself through through the worst, missing out on opportunities with maybe somebody else more compatible. You 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 put you, it's like you're 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 fearful, you're scared of her of the significant other putting you out there, putting your business out there, everybody knowing. We're in a teaching community, so everybody knows everybody. Like, it's like I'm in my school, you know, where I'm coaching and I'm a public figure in this, in this city, and then I'm almost worried about what people knowing. And I end up staying because every time I would get ready to walk away, it was like, you know, you did this to me. You did and and she, she abused it. So I was finally able to walk away. But I finally got to a point where I was able to walk away when – I just had to be confident and, 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 and the things would be okay. Like, it was okay. It was okay. Other people have issues. Like, it was okay. Don't, I just had to stop worrying about what everybody else would think. Like, I had to worry about me because I, I was in a bad situation. It was getting worse. And it wasn't going to get better until I was able to walk away. It, it's not easy. So whomever, whomever is having that experience, I would say to you, you know, just you got to stay strong and find what's best for you. Don't worry about all the negative stuff because – you can you can slowly come out to your to your people close to you, people that love you, people that love you. I mean, everybody has situations where they think about friends. Like, oh, I told my friend, and she turned around. And she told, like she'll get mad at you, and she turned around and tell. That's not a friend. That's not somebody. I'm talking about somebody who genuinely has a has a unconditional love for you, and you all have a relationship like where you got their back, they got yours. You've been through some trials and tribulations together. That's who you confide in. Like not just like your little you know fair weather friend where you you just met a girl and y'all hang out, y'all go to the mall to get your nails done. That ain't your friend yet. Y'all ain't been through nothing. So it's like, you, you know, whoever you have, get, some, get somebody close in your family, somebody who understand you got to lean on other people. Don't take that on by yourself because it's, it's too big of a burden to carry. And, and until I got to that point where I start confiding in close friends, I had this community. Like, and I was holding on to this, and I was doing helping out everybody else and putting on these events and shit, but I was carrying this shit, and nobody knew it. And I was actually miserable, but nobody could tell from the outside. But you, you don't carry that. You got to find your outlet. My outlet happened to be helping other people and helping help their lives when I was hurting myself the whole time until I got people close to me outside the community to, to, to tell and confide in and share with. That's when I that's when I was able to heal. So my advice to you is just find someone, find your, you know, your 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 comfort zone, your comfort person, whoever that is, whoever you got to find, whatever you got to do, whatever that outlet is, find it. And get strong and keep yourself. You know that's how you that's how you heal. Did anyone have anything that they wanted to add to that? So I can pass the mic. All right. So just closing that out, man. The thing there, it, it it's guilt when we touch on the drinking part. Uh, in there, it said, you know, I'm I've been running and drinking ever since. A question to ask yourself is, what do you wake? What are you running away from? That thing is worth looking back at. I have this analogy, I don't know where it came from, but just from the time that we're born, we're kind of navigating life 
on this invisible thread. We're unaware of it. We move around, move around the house, move around our communities, our environment. And rough times sort of naturally put these knots in there where we find ourselves in patterns. And so the drinking, the running, the ways that we cope, these are patterns. So we may see these patterns show up in the way we do relationships. We may see these patterns show up in our friendships. But what these represent, metaphorically, are these knots that we're creating by doing the same things over and over. And you don't realize that you're entangled until you hit the end of it. And you're like jerking, like, oh, why am I stuck? Why can I not move forward? Why can't I heal from this? Why am I not doing what I want to do? That's what the running is. So until you can recognize that you're attached to something, you'll, the awareness is looking down and being like, oh, shit, there's this thing I'm attached to. Where does this go? And you got to be willing to look at that and trace it back and have grace with yourself when you have that awareness. Retrace those steps. Look at those knots. Be gentle with them. They're going to be a bitch to get out. The harder you pull, the tighter they get. But you got to be gentle with those knots. Massage them. Understand them. Know what they are. And as you begin to rub those out, <laughs> rub those out, as you begin to do that <laughs> and recognize what it is that you're running away from, like, you'll be able to pull the lesson out of that. As far as the guilt from passing it on, that's real. I mean, that's just a normal feeling. That's a normal human emotion that we have. We don't want to put something on other people that, first off, they didn't ask for and that we don't even want ourselves, you know. So that's where like, the guilt isn't a bad thing to feel. We just have to understand, you know, its usefulness. It's just like that should encourage us to give them the choice when we have the choice. I want to add to that. Um, I think we always look at this like, oh, I don't want to give people herpes. But in every relationship that you've been in, like what has a past person given you? Right. Like I think about how I used to be this gift giver where I would like make a craft and I would like find a chintzy way to make something and I gave it to someone and that I was seeing who was just like why do you always give me like little pieces of shit like and it just destroyed me like I, I never wanted to give anyone anything I never wanted to make a craft again I never wanted to feel like I was creative and you know saving money like just because this person was used to paying top dollar for anything that they wanted and, you know, it's kind of like, so what if someone said to you that you still carry? I think of, you know, like the, I know PTSD sometimes is only seen as like you had to have been in the military. But like the fights that you used to have with someone who was overly jealous, like that stuff, that they gave that to you too. Because now anytime someone's jealous, you're like, you know, all your red flags were gifted to you. So it's not just about, oh, I don't want to pass on this thing. It's like your actions are also passed on to other people inside your relationships. So it's not just this. There's, there's many more things that you can look at of like, well, I don't want them to give me PTSD based on their whatevers. All right, we're going to move on to the next one. This one's pretty short, actually. Uh, how many of you have had experience with disclosing to someone and then being ghosted? And by ghosted, I mean they just stop talking to you. No response, no explanation, just you disclose and they stop talking and you just assume it's because I disclose and they don't want anything to do with it. All right, so here we have, we're using Karen. <laughs> Karen and I, we're talking for a while. And then when we made plans for a movie, she vanished. And I never heard from her uh, when it was time for the movie. So I'm going to assume that here we're talking about a disclosure and then having been ghosted. Uh, 
this is I don't I can tell you how many times this happens. You know, it's just a matter of preference. You know, not a lot of people are aware one that condoms don't fully cover the surface area where HSV can be transmitted. It is a skin-to-skin contact virus that lives in the nerves. Unfortunately, the rest of the world doesn't know that. Uh, When we do this disclosing, we put so much of the burden of this on ourselves because we're the ones who have a positive status. When we disclose and then we end up with the desired outcome that we want, which is likely having sex with the person that we're disclosing to, we completely disregard asking them about their status. And then we completely disregard whether or not we're compatible, whether or not our values and goals are aligned. Like if what's moving forward from this even going to look like. So we may just throw that out there before we even know if this person's a fit. And I mean, it's a chance. I mean, that's what love is, you know, in the pursuit of love, in the pursuit of whatever it is that you're in pursuit of. When you put something out there as vulnerable as this, you're putting yourself in position to be hurt. And especially if you've really invested in someone. So if you've made times, if you spoke to Karen and you courted Karen and y'all were talking on a regular basis and you felt like there was a connection and then you give them this bit of information about yourself, If this person disappears on you because of that, what happens if you break your leg and you need to be, God forbid, in a wheelchair? What happens if if you find yourself in a situation where you need to be taken care of and then Karen is nowhere to be found? So, I mean, personally, in my opinion, when it comes to something like this, if you disclose to somebody and then they are the kind of person who would just, with no explanation, disappear, good. You know, they just freed up space for the person who is going to be there in the event that you need them, in the event that you become in a space where you need support. Because that person isn't someone who's going to be there. You can't lean on a ghost, (laughs) right? That's way more common than you think. And it's something that many of us deal with, and we deal with it in different ways. Some of us, uh, if you're on dating sites, maybe put it out there initially just to Ward people who aren't okay with it off. Everybody don't read profiles, so you still got to deal with the ones that creep in, but that's one way to do it. Another way is to just get more quality time with one another to where you know whether or not you're compatible, and then you can get to the point of disclosing your status to them so that you know, you understand, okay, this is someone worth disclosing to. You got to understand, like, just because we got herpes, our value is not diminished in any way, shape, or form. You know, if anything, you know, I feel like I've seen so many people use their herpes diagnosis as a way to level up themselves. Because now you, while stigma society says, oh, your options are limited, you're worth less now, that's not the case. Because now I got standards. Everybody don't need to know this. Are you somebody that's worth knowing this about me? And when you carry yourself like that, it just feels different. You move different, and you start to just draw in more people who would be okay with it. And, I mean, I remember, like, it took me five, no, it probably took me about four years after knowing some people that I became really close with, like we just heard uh, from the gentleman in the back, finding people that are your people. We've been through some shit, y'all. <laughs> and when you go through shit with people, you can share shit with people. And that's when you get that support that you 
have probably been longing for but didn't know you need. And you don't know you need it until you get it. Because the feeling that comes with still being loved despite this thing that you've probably hated yourself for and been so hard on yourself about for so long, to be loved for that, you know, it just creates this, this polarity from the worst possible feelings that you can have and then hearing that, okay, so, all right, what's that mean? What's that got to do with anything? Something as simple as that from somebody that you love and care about, knowing that they love you, it intensifies that feeling of what you had pushed down here, and it just fucking releases it. Disclosing to the people closest to you kind of helps boost that confidence, and it keeps us at a place where we know our self-worth because of people that are around us, the people that we trust, like, love, know, who know about this aspect of us, they lift us up. And that's what, you know, being here, that's what this community does. Like, we're here, we're lifting each other up, we're supporting one another. Like, I'm appreciative of y'all being here. I appreciate y'all sharing y'all stories because these stories are bringing us in a place where we can connect from these experiences and be able to pull these lessons out of them. Um, for me, the first thing I think about is, is uh, when people ask me, like, how do I start disclosing I always think of, um, I practice this sort of like, okay, like, who would you go up to and be like, man, do you ever just have one of those rock hard boogers in your nose that like you come out and like can't help but to look at? And if that friend's like, oh my God, you're disgusting. Like, why are you talking about this? You probably don't want to disclose to that person, right? Or if they're like, oh yeah, I get those all the time. Okay. Like talk about the last time you pooped. Like if that person's like, man, it's been days, right? You can just feel people out. You know, maybe it's not those questions. Like, obviously, meet your own personality. But if you have a friend that can just, like, collude, like, not collude, but, like, just laugh with you. Or just, like, yeah, me too. Or, like, and you start to notice, like, those. Uh, so I'm just very open with my sexuality. I'm very open with what I like, what I don't like. And I have friends that are so uncomfortable when I'm open about that. They're so uncomfortable when I share it with other people in front of them. But what I've learned is that then when they have those weird questions, they don't know who else to talk to about, like, they come to me. And they're like, hey, I've never talked about this out loud, but you always talk about it, so I figured I could talk to you about it. And I'm like, okay, yeah, absolutely. And so it's that kind of stuff where you, you set the tone for someone else. And when you share, so uh, the ghosting experience, um, I was on a date with a, uh, uh, sorry, Disclosing, I do top fives. Like, hey, what's uh, your top five disqualifiers? Like, what's like five things you know if someone has, you would not keep dating them? And I always just feel like, oh, our STI is on there? And 98% of the time, they're not. And for me, it's like, okay, what's my top five? What can this person not like have and I would not be interested? And someone who drinks on a regular basis like was one of them, but I showed up on this date anyways because... Years later, I'm still like, oh, I don't want to be rejected. And also, it's been a while, so I'll just look past this one. And it got thrown in my face, right? Like, I um, told them I had it, and then it was just kind of like, oh, I don't know anything about it, but I really don't want an STI, so maybe, maybe not. Like, wow, okay, that still hurts. Like, years later, there's still that party that's like, Whoop. I still, I did just get rejected, even though this person doesn't have something. So that has something that is my standard. Like, they don't show up to that. They don't meet it. That's my preference. And you really can start to, like, learn, like, okay, it's not just about what don't, what wouldn't they accept me for? Like, it's also what wouldn't you accept them for? Or what is your standard? What is your quality? And ask yourself that. It's not just about putting yourself out there. 
Um, and practicing. Like I said, find other words or things you want to talk about or that you did, but you can start to like feel people out. And it was kind of like if you speak about it in a negative way, like you're teaching people the negative stigma about it. I'm so open about it with all of my friends that I've had a lot of my friends come up to me and be like, if I wouldn't have met you and someone told me they had herpes, I would have never dated them. But because you talk about it so much, you make it so nonchalant and not a big deal. Like my friends now like aren't scared of it. They're very educated. They ask me instead of the internet. Like they look, you know, and I've had so many friends years later come back, text me back, call me later. Just like, I just met a person that just disclosed, like, what do I need to know again? And, or like, you know, and like, you can be that. Your activism work or the things that you want to do in the world don't need to be so grand as a podcast or a stage. It can be literally just like teaching your five friends, teaching another person. And then I also want to acknowledge, you know, while we stand up here, our names are associated with this stigmatizing virus. You know, people often say how brave or courageous we are. And I personally believe that this just comes with a certain amount of privilege. I just happened to work with one of my best friends who, when I told him, he was like, man, fuck that shit. We're going to get this money. And even in my work, thinking that this was going to impact me negatively, come to find out, you know, I saw I'm a personal trainer. A lot of my clients come to me because they have herpes or they feel comfortable opening up to me about it. And this is something that they keep coming back for, you know, like it's, it's a matter of just recognizing that I do have a privilege to be able to be open about it. And that's not for everybody. Everybody just ain't got it. So doing what you may feel like there may be like a little bit of a tug of war between, Oh, I want to help. I want to help somebody. I want to, you know, fight the stigma. You can do something just like a, a disclosure, you know, disclosing to someone is something that you can do. You know, you don't have to do anything major, do anything large, because, again, you know, it's just it's a privilege. Uh, We have time for one more of these. And then what I'll do is I'll put the other ones that have been written in onto another podcast episode. So I'll read through this one here that we have. I was diagnosed a year ago. I met someone two weeks after being diagnosed. And when I disclosed to them They immediately did research and took time to learn about how it could affect a relationship. We began dating, but after a few months, we would have fights and they would use herpes against me. Even though the fights were completely unrelated to herpes, they would tell me that I didn't deserve to be upset about certain things because they were making the ultimate sacrifice to be with me. They were talking, or I'm sorry, taking on herpes and potentially getting it. Therefore, I should feel indebted to them. That absolutely enraged me because it felt like they didn't actually accept me and my diagnosis. My first relationship after being diagnosed failed because of herpes. Before I get started, does anyone, does anything stand out to anyone about this particular situation? It failed because they're an asshole. What else? It failed because he trusted somebody that truly was dead. Like she just said, that's not 
Yeah, I think that sums it up well. They weren't about it in the first place. I think it's one word, manipulation. Manipulation. So what stands out here to me is the word failed. The relationship failed because of herpes. What about this manipulative, guilt-tripping relationships end was a failure? So if it wasn't herpes, then it would be something else in that situation. So I look at failed in this sense as the opposite of success. I would say here that herpes in this situation was a success because that's what got you out of the relationship. How, who knows how abusive this could have gotten? Who knows where this could have gone? Um, We've heard people talk about staying in relationships because they have herpes and the other person, their significant other being uh, emotionally, mentally, even physically abusive toward them just because they can. And so in a sense, like we have to really define what failure and success look like for ourselves and understand what that means. So like I said, failure, the opposite of success. And in this sense, success just being the achieving of the desired outcome. And when we don't know what our desired outcomes are, it's very easy for us to find ourselves in situations that failed because we don't quite know what we want or what that thing that we want actually looks like. So in this sense, you know, this person just may have wanted a relationship. They had a relationship, but what that what kind of relationship do you want? What are you willing to put up with? What aren't you willing to put up with? These are all things to factor in and take into consideration rather than being one dimensionally focused on, OK, well, I have herpes and I want to be in a relationship. Oh, here's a relationship with this fucking beaver, you know, who accepts me from my diagnosis. Right. And in this case, it just happens to be a human, a shitty human, you know, at the end of the day. So it's important that we define success for ourselves in dating and relationships and it shouldn't just be acceptance don't settle for acceptance like raise a bar again you know we got this very vulnerable piece of information about ourselves that we know and we've been faced with whatever life challenges we've been faced with as a result of it or after our diagnosis that may or may not stem from it or maybe our herpes diagnosis elevated something that's always been there but the fact that now we're aware of it and we're willing to go through the challenge of healing that and dealing with that and feeling the emotions that come with all of that, that naturally just makes us a more high value human being than we were before. You know, and I'll, I'll stand on that and take that with me. Like I, I, I stand by that statement. You know, anyone who's willing to look at the darkest part of themselves, the most painful part of themselves, and then take that out into the world and deal with it and open up to somebody and give them the opportunity to just stab you in the heart, that's what a brave person is. So everybody in here who has been willing to put themselves out there, who's been willing to write this down, who's been willing to show up to this event, who's been willing to take a chance on what it is that they want, 
y'all brave. I just, I'm just privileged. <laughs> so figure out what success, figure out what failure means to you. Because, I mean, at the end of it, you know, when we talk about this relationship, if it wasn't herpes, it would have just been something else. Um, this makes me think of sort of my dating experience where I think there's a lot of, like, you don't know what you want, and you got to go through enough people to realize uh, there's a really old movie called Weird Science. They just, like, pick a little parts of all these, like, different person, and then all of a sudden there's a live person. I think of like every relationship that didn't work out. I'm like, okay, well, I like the patience of that person, the willingness of that person, didn't like the non-acceptance of that person, the material materialism of this person. It's like that, like, do you ever want something so bad? Maybe it's a nice pair of shoes or this dress or like you happen to go to the place and find it. It's like you get to learn like, oh, I like all these pieces and parts of somebody because of how that makes me feel. And if you sit and think about it so much, you can manifest that person but how do you know what you like if you don't get out there and like gift yourself the opportunity to find love and you know if we're made of a hundred parts of ourselves and 15 percent of that is the work that we do in the world 10 is the way that we look and four is the this and the that it's like herpes is like 0.03 on the hundred things that make up who you are and if we focus on that 0.03 percent it's small in comparison, but our emotions are just stuck at that. Like, think about all the other really great facets when you start to spiral out about herpes, like how great your hair is, how committed you are, how generous you are, how loving you are. Like, the way this looks on you, the way that is about you, like, and focus on those, and it can really pull you out of that tailspin, that shame spiral when you think that herpes is the thing that's in the way of what you want. How is this for everybody? Like, are y'all getting anything out of this? Is this is it, this resonating? Is this kind of hitting home? Good. Slavs are there. <laughs> um, we only have a couple of minutes left, so um, I'll hold. Please hold any questions that you have for after this, or if there's any feedback that you want to give. Um, I just want to close this out. So if you want to donate, you can visit www.spfpp.org and go to the homepage. Scroll down. There's an option for Venmo. You can become a Patreon subscriber. And then what was the third one? It's another one. Huh? Oh, it's www.spfpp.org. It stands for something positive for yeah. positive people. Probably should have just said that. I just have a little, yeah, I normally switch it up and then I have to say it out loud, so that's go, why. Yeah, you can go to somethingpositiveforpositivepeople.org, we got that URL too, but SPFPP is just way easier to remember.